money. It comes with a lot of questions, and Fidelity can help you get answers. Visit fidelity.com slash blackwealth to learn more. This episode of the Market Mondays World Tour is brought to you with limited interruption by Ally. Your banana pudding, you taste my banana pudding. It's on. It's on. It's on. <laughs> I was going to say, Will you marry me? Is my makeup messy? Yes, it's messy. Speaking about referrals. Thank you. Appreciate it. I gotta come up there. Appreciate it. That is speaking about referrals, right? And the power of relationships. Remember the guy who I said, if you ever get a chance to see him, pick his brain. His name is David Gross. Yes. So he's stand up. He's he's actually a legend, and he's here right now. Actually, stand up, Dave Gross. Clap it up for David Gross. Yes. Respect. The marathon continues, man. In theme, in theme with the marathon, obviously, if you don't know who Dave Gross is, Dave is a he's actually a neighborhood kid. He's from South Central. And he he moved. (laughs) Yes. He he moved away when he when he was a kid. He worked on Wall Street for 20 years. Um you know, became huge in the world of business, but wanted to move back home. And when he when he moved back home, he um he wanted to work with somebody that had a lot of buzz in his neighborhood that where he's actually from. And you know, he's from the same neighborhood, so he had some connections to him. And uh that gentleman's name was Nipsey Hustle. And uh he was able to become partners with Nip. And a lot of those business moves that you see, the Venture Nine Vendor Nine Victor Ninety gotcha. and and uh, all of the real estate plays and all of that, that was that was Dave Gross. He's the one that was leading that whole, all that round. So clap it up for David. So we in LA. We got my brother Dave. You know, Market Mondays. We we always talk about stocks, but the live show we always talk about real estate. That's something that's extremely, extremely, extremely important. And um, we can't have this conversation on Market Mondays live without having a real estate conversation. So Dave, actually. Before we get into the real estate conversation, because I was taking notes, your, your Ten Commandments. When we first connected, we didn't talk about any business. Oh. We broke bread. I heard your insane takes on hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was a legendary that dinner. Was a legendary. That was legendary. <laughs> your whole team, which I respected, you had your whole team. I met everybody. I took pictures of Michael backstage earlier. <laughs> I never forgot how funny he is. <laughs> so we built a real relationship. Um, you know, just we broke bread as brothers. And that opened up a lot of doors for us. You know, happy to give referrals. And now I'm using, you're, giving, you're sharing your platform with me. So having real connections with people, that's, that's key. That's a fact. That is a fact. Dave, hold the mic a little closer. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. So let's get into this. So what are the primary drivers of real estate market right now? There's one driver of the real estate market right now, and that's the Fed raising rates. They have their f- their foot on the neck of the real estate market. Actually, every market. Every market, yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> are we short, short, are, short and sweet? <laughs> are we in a bear market? And uh, if so, when will we come out of it? You know what? 
real estate's real estate's a little bit unique in that you can't track prices. There's not like a, a, a real-time kind of pricing mechanism like the stock market. The stock market trades every day. They're indices. You can price the whole market minute to minute. Real estate isn't like that. Mm -hmm. But if you ask real estate professionals, is the market off 20 to 30% from its peak? For sure. And so if that's how you define a bear market, yeah, we're probably in a bear market. And um, when, will, when will that turn? You know, when will the Fed stop raising rates? And when will they start cutting rates? That'll probably be the inflection point in this market. But I think there's probably another leg down to go in real estate before we get there. So we have the crypto fallout, Silicon Valley Bank falling out. Um, how are institutions able to make money and how are we able to use them making money to make money for us as retail investors? So institutional investors in real estate, so there's something interesting that happened in 2019, 2018, 19, and then after the Fed, use their shock and all metrics in, in 2020, there was so much money raised in real estate, right? There's so much, there's tens of billions of dollars sitting on the sideline in real estate and everyone's waiting for, everyone's waiting for a free fall before they step in. But the fact that there's so much money waiting on the sidelines pretty much ensures there's not gonna be a complete collapse mm -hmm. like 2008. So what most institutions have been doing, like no one did anything in the second half of 2022. People are still pretty dormant right now. But what people are, what institutions are doing, they're providing high interest rate loans, kind of short duration, two years and in, to developers who are stuck in projects, to people who bought a value add project. Um, they were going to turn it around and refi in three years. Well, three years ago, no one saw rates blowing out 500 basis points, yeah. right? So now they go to refi, they can't. So they got to go to an institutional lender and say, I need. $3 million, or if it's a large project, $10, 20000000 million. So that's how institutions are making money. Basically, high-yield, collateralized loans. Can so I do a follow-up real quick? Yeah, yeah. Someone asked me this last night because they had a 3% interest rate on their home. I'm like, great job. How long do you think it will be before rates finally come back down to those lows of 2018, 2019? Dave, when you talk, like, just try to hold, because I think it's an echo on the yeah. back. So, uh -huh. yeah, just act like you're a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> But people are notoriously bad at making predictions about interest rates. Yeah. A year and a half ago, do you think anybody saw this? No one. So when will we see 3% again? The, the ironic part of this is we'll, we'll see rates go down after the Fed raising rates starts to break the economy. Mm. Once things start breaking, then they'll be forced to cut rates. And if they break things enough, then they'll cut rates significantly, yeah. maybe down to that 3%. But Probably not inside five years, I'm guessing. Ooh, five years. So we got some time. So are there bright spots inside of this market where like individual retail investors can say, I, I, I could be optimistic about this? Because you talk about the interest rates. Yeah, it got down to three. Right now, 30-year fix is at 7%. Should we be optimistic saying, all right, well, you know, the, the, the adage is don't, buy, don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. Like, should we be optimistic? Yeah, there's, there's another saying, when there's blood in the streets, you buy real estate, mm -hmm. right? So one of the messed up things about investing, or, or it's a cynical aspect of investing, distress yields opportunity, Yeah. right? So it's, everyone was excited to buy real estate a year and a half ago, two years ago, when prices were setting records month over month for a year straight, quarter over quarter for a couple years straight. 
you're just locked in losses buying at the peak. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure Ian talks about this all the time when it comes to stocks. It's scary right now. Yeah. Um, but if you can make the financing work, it's much better to buy something 40% cheaper than it was a year ago. Absolutely. So that's one thing to be you know, optimistic about is distress yields opportunity. The second thing is there's just, real estate is such a massive asset class. It's a $300 trillion market. It's the biggest asset class in the world. And that's because you include residential real estate in that globally. Um, so there's always opportunity everywhere and always in real estate. There's opportunity. And it just it, it moves and it changes from different asset classes. So from office or retail to industrial, um, storage spaces, multifamily and single family is going to be an opportunity in this country and in almost every major city for the next decade because we have a shortage of housing. So things are stressful now and, and they're scary, but there's opportunity. So, all right, let me ask you this. What are opportunity? What are the opportunities in this market? So two years ago, people who had never invested in real estate Everyone wanted to jump into the market. A lot of those people bought deals, value-add deals, or bought deals they were going to flip. Some people even started to develop. They're going to be hurting soon. And again, this is, um, this is just a fact of life. They're going to be hurting. And they're going to sell at a price that they're not going to like, but the buyer is going to like. And that's going to happen a lot over the next two or three years. It hasn't really accelerated downward at this point but it's gonna start once people actually start selling things. Right now, everyone's been trying to hold on. They've been yeah. trying to see if things are gonna stabilize, the market was gonna change, the Fed's gonna bail them out. So one big opportunity, the people who made the most money in real estate over the past decade, they bought in 2009, 2010, Ooh. when everyone was scared, when no one had capital, and they sold in 2017, 2018, 2019. Yeah. They made generational wealth. So that's one source of opportunity, You know that distress. But people in LA, so if I, if I was someone starting in real estate right now in California, Southern California, oh. I think the ADU market is, I think that's a massive opportunity. And I know that the world is rough right now, but it's going to be an opportunity for the next decade. Well, to, that, look, yeah. talk about what, does anybody know what ADU is? <laughs> they all know. Oh, you guys are amazing. They all know. All right. They all know. Does anybody not know what ADU is? It's okay. So, so for, for the few people that don't, and I have a suspicion that there's more people that might not know. What is the ADU? So ADUs, um, they call them granny flats, tiny homes, accessory dwelling units is the formal name. But um, this audience, they probably get what house hacking is. This is house hacking 2.0. So you have a single family house. You know, land is the most expensive thing in Southern Cal- in California. Right? There's a cost of construction or building a house, but land is a thing. They're not making more land in LA or LA County. So if you have a single family house, you can build a tiny home in the back. Actually, you can build really? a couple of them. Um, and if you think about it, building a 500 square foot structure or an 800 square foot structure, it's less capital intensive. It's a shorter time frame to build it, and you're still getting incredible rents for it. And so. From a legislative standpoint, the governor, the mayor, every politician in the state has been trying to push legislation to streamline it, make it easy, make it attractive. Um, Everyone views it as a way to um, address housing and affordability. And I think it's a massive opportunity. 
mm. for people to get started with not a lot of capital. Can, can I just follow up really quick, Ian? So as far as the opportunities, what are, what are the zoning parameters for that, right? So if I have a property, obviously I got to go through my, my town or I got to go through my local municipality to figure Are there zoning laws that say you can't do this? No, so recently the, both the state and county, they've been passing laws to make it so that you could. Mm -hmm. It's still, there's still nuances and there's still complexity, which jams people up, but it's changing every day. Okay. It's, it's one of the few things that almost every politician, regardless of which side of the aisle they're on in this state, is behind. Because there are some, there are some structural issues in housing that have built up over the past 60 years. Mm. Um, in this state mm. that make it un un unaffordable. But this is a solution that everyone is seemingly embracing. You've worked on the institutional side, and I always tell everyone, regardless of what you're investing in, the principles are the same. What parallels do you see between the stock market and real estate to help them mitigate risk and also maximize the upside potential when they are investing? You know, the greatest similarity, I think, between real estate and the stock market and basically every asset class, everything is a, um, is a cost of capital game. Mm. Um, it's, it's how much, how much are you paying for your capital? Mm -hmm. Um, and that dictates how much you can make on your investment. Yeah. And so you gave an example a while ago, you said, you know, somebody had a 3% mortgage, right? So two years ago, institutional real estate investors buying multifamily buildings, buying, you know, office buildings. You guys have heard of cap rates, yeah? Everything in real in multifamily was a four cap or a five cap. Wow. That's because you could borrow at three percent. So if you can borrow at three percent and you can make a four percent return, you're making money. And the more leverage you have, the more money you're making. Right? Now when interest rates blow out to seven percent, you obviously can't take a 4% return. Now you're looking for an 8% or a 9% return, so you have positive leverage. That resets pricing in the market. It's the same thing in the stock market. Every, every large investment firm in the stock market, they have an em embedded cost of capital, yeah. how they run their business, right? Okay. Um, so the way they can, when, when their cost of capital goes up, the way they make money on their investments is they buy their investments at a lower price. Yeah. So that's why risk gets repriced in rising rate environments and everything is cheaper. As a follow-up, do you think that's why Vanguard and BlackRock have went so heavy into the rental space to offset the losses in the stock market? I think they went so heavy into the, and you're talking about the single family market. Yeah. I think institutions were forced into doing that really? um, because all of the large investment firms were, you know, they're a handful of, there are a handful of markets in this country, like San Francisco, New York, LA, where there are three, four, $500 million real estate assets. Yeah. And so all the big investors were circling the same assets and the pricing went crazy. Then there started being, there became regional players who were mm. kicking ass, buying thousands of single family homes yeah. in Memphis and LA in every market. Mm -hmm. And they weren't competing with institutions, they were competing with mom and pops. And, and they were, eating the world you know what i mean so then the black rocks and the vanguards and the the big investors said we're fighting we're knife fighting each other for subpar returns they're fighting local investors and, and they're beating us so that's why they started doing it mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, i'm gonna tie this in because we obviously we talk about a lot of companies and we talk about layoffs 
Uh, and we talk about people not going back to work. And so what that leaves is vacancies in commercial real estate. I wonder from your perspective, what do you think the outlook is for the space of commercial real estate if right, people don't go back, like they say they, that they're not doing in, in droves right now? Will we see sort of a pullback or maybe a crisis in the commercial real estate space? Yeah, for sure. I think everyone who everyone who's built a career and has a massive portfolio in office or retail, you're on pins and needles. Probably beyond pins and needles. You're wow. trying to figure out an exit and trying to figure out how to transition. I think what's gonna happen are large office spaces and in, in you know, central business districts, they'll be repurposed into multifamily or mixed use. There'll be multifamily, be retail, some office, but it's gonna be a generational kind of transformation in the real estate market. Um, again, people are bad at making predictions. Maybe five years from now, we're all back in the office five days straight. Mm -hmm. Who knows? It hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And as much as banks and real estate firms are pushing it, you know, the general public is resistant. Right. Tech firms are resistant. So it's not gonna happen in the next two or three years. So what do you do to, you know, that your portfolio of office space that you're sitting on, that you have to service debt on? that's increasingly vacant. vacant. Um, so there will be some seismic shift and change. Now, I think you asked the question, do I think there's distress coming in the market or something like that? Mm -hmm. You guys were talking about Silicon Valley Bank earlier. Yeah, That's lightweight. Silvergate, that's lightweight. Commercial real estate will be the thing that breaks this economy. Wait, what? Hot take. <laughs> that's not a hot take. That's, that's said so hold casually. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. He doesn't show emotion. <laughs> we learned that from our first dinner. <laughs> yeah. No, no, for real. If hey, the fact it, that he, he, he's smiling is telling. If SVB is lightweight, how big do you think the commercial bubble losses will be? I can't peg it, but it's in every... So real estate is everywhere. Right. You go outside, throw a rock, you're going to hit real estate office, retail, housing will be more insulated, right? People aren't gonna stop paying their rents and rents, rents, rent growth is slowing down. Some places going backwards, but rents rarely go backwards. Yeah. But there are certain asset classes where they're just gonna be paying. And it's just such a big market. Like the exposure to Silicon Valley Bank are the startups who bank there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not much outside of that. And all of them will probably be made whole. Silvergate, I don't, I don't really know much about that yeah. situation, but let's assume that's a loss and nobody really cares. Yeah. But if you guys follow the real deal or read the New York Times, the real estate section, every day over the past two months, mm -hmm. there have been BlackRock and Blackstone. They've defaulted on properties. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's going to continue happening if the Fed keeps pushing interest rates to the point where people can't service their debt. You think this would be global or just contained in the United States? I think what, when the U.S. sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. <laughs> so look, one of the, well look, so it sounds like what I'm saying is all bad, but the shit is already happening. Yeah, <laughs> it's in motion already. <laughs> the Fed has already raised rates to, you know, to where they are now, right? There's a... Um, there's one indicator of distress in the markets, the twos, tens, that inversion. Inverted yield curve. Right? Yep, yep, yep. So always, and when it's this inverted, it hasn't been this inverted in the past 40 years, a recession always follows, right? 
So it's already happened. Yeah. It just happens with the lag. And I'm saying all this, and I'm not telling people to be scared because everyone here, they're earners. Yeah. Everyone here has some capital they want to invest. Yeah. And I told you earlier, people that made their money in real estate, they made it buy. You make your money when you buy real estate, yeah. not when you sell. You make your money when you buy. So the people who bought in 2009 and 2010, when shit was scary, they just took profit you know, over the past three or four years. And that's what you guys are gonna do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think commercial real estate, because it's such an important and such a large asset class. Quick, quick follow-up, if, if you don't mind. If you're sitting up here and you're like, man, I just heard you say that the world's gonna fall apart. How do you <laughs> expect me to put my capital into the market to buy assets, even though I know long-term it's gonna work, but I can't even afford to like suffer for those three years or seven years. What advice would you give them if you were like 20 years old or 25 years old and you were sitting up there? I'm gonna answer your question with a question. No, I am. It, doing my is, move. Go ahead. How, what kind of mindset or what kind of time frame do you encourage people to invest over on Market Mondays or to your Red Panda group? M minimum five. Minimum five, ideally 10 to 30. Okay. So, two years ago, and this, this is one of the paradoxes of investing. Yeah. Everyone feels good when every market is up. Oh, yeah. Everyone feels great when every market is setting a new high every day. Is that the best time to buy? It's the worst time. Unless you're a momentum trader? Worst time. It's the worst time to buy as a long-term investor. Yeah. When would be the absolute best time to buy? When there's absolute disaster in the street. At the absolute bottom, yeah. if you could pick an absolute bottom. But no one can pick an absolute bottom. <laughs> <Are you? laughs> if I made you money, can I get a hell yeah? Maybe we can pick some bottles for them. All right. <laughs> I mean, it would be dope if we called out the bottle for them and told them when to invest. Y'all want to get rich or no? Yeah. Trading and investing has risk. <laughs> Please consult your advisor. I forgot to right. describe Dave, Dave, let me ask you this. Let me yeah. ask you this before. Um, I want to make sure this is important. What are financing strategies and tactics that people can use? So for local investors and novice investors or um, people getting started in real estate now, one of the best financing strategies is probably going to be seller financing. So when you go and buy, you go buy a house from someone, you know, a year ago, they wanted all cash. They, they were, they were giving priority to all cash buyers who could close quick. Now people want to get close to the price they think their house is worth. Right. And so to get close to their price, they'll be flexible with structure. Mm. So nowadays you don't have to bid all cash. You're definitely not bidding over someone. But you can go try to buy a million dollar house, dummy numbers. You get a first mortgage from a bank for 500. Now you have sellers who will take back 200, 300 to get the price they want. Now you, as a buyer, you'll negotiate with them, the term, the rate, et cetera. But increasingly people were resorting to that in this environment. And a lot of people were closing deals, um, closing deals using that financing strategy. Dave, you're, you're from Southern California. And so I'll be remiss, we would be remiss if we didn't tell them about opportunities that they can invest in right here in Southern LA, Southern Let's go. California. What are some opportunities for the people? Now, I touched on it earlier about ADUs and, you know, venture back firms, they've been on their back foot. You know, it's been hard to raise cash, but one of the emerging areas um, that's been raising more money relatively is prop tech, but within that, there are a lot of ADU-centric firms that are being venture-backed. Mm. So I do believe that out of this current 
this emerging kind of crisis that we're going into, yeah. um, there'll be a couple unicorns in this ADU space. Um, so I think individuals, you could walk down your block and, and look at somebody that has a large backyard and go say, hey, I can put up some money. I can help you with the permits. I can help you, you know, with manage the process. Have you ever thought about an ADU in your backyard? So that's one area that I'd be looking into if I was just getting into real estate right now. Other opportunities would be a lot of local investors in your market, there's some of those investors who are probably coming up short with proceeds because now they got to refi the, the house that they bought and they fixed up. And, you know, when they underwrote it, you know, they assumed interest rates were going to be at 4%. Now they're getting less money. Yeah. So they can't take all the money out yeah. to pay back their first loan. So now they got to go to someone else and say, I, you know, I need whatever. You can step in and act like institutions and you can offer someone that high that high yield two-year loan. Okay. In this market, how great would it be to hide out when stocks are gonna be sideways or down, clip 15% a year, 20% a incredible. year. Incredible. Collateralized by real estate. It's incredible. So let's say I have an amazing group of friends. Shout out to all y'all. And we're here at the opportunity to invest in Southern California. How do we get us together as a collective to be able to pull money together to be able to invest and buy these properties safely. You know what, real estate networking communities are some of the most, there's so many active and robust communities out there. Um, so I'd say tap in your local market. So if you're from the IE, tap in there. They're, you know, they're meetup Shout groups. Shout out to y'all. If you're from the OC, there are groups there. If you're in LA, there are hundreds of real estate meetup groups. You just gotta go meet people, pound the flesh, shake hands. Um, but start with your circle. Like everyone in here is, 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 I can assume some things about them, right? They um, want to better themselves. They're focused on creating wealth. Um, they probably surround themselves with people who add value. So start with that group, create your own kind of network and then expand that. Before we leave, so I feel like everybody that comes to these type of events is for three different reasons, right? It's educational. That's obvious, but it's also inspirational and motivational as well. So it's important for people to be inspired and to be motivated, um, not just educated. So you, neighborhood kid, but you've actually accomplished amazing things in real estate development. Because we talk about real estate investing and buying a home, but I want to talk on, on a high level before we leave. I know uh, Don Peebles is somebody that you're close with. We had an opportunity to talk to him in Madison Square Garden. You were in the process of buying the Baldwin Hill Mall. Yeah. That didn't work out, right? Wow. But talk about maybe that or just talk about real estate development on a high level um, because I think it's important for them to hear that to see themselves and you and you, somebody that's doing that at an extremely high level with NBA players and entertainers and hundreds of millions of dollars of deals and, you know, commercial buildings. I, I want them to really just understand that. Yeah, and, and you said it's important to be inspired. So it's funny, you brought up Don Peebles. I was inspired by Don Peebles. You know, I read both of Don's books at some point and I made it a um, mission to meet Don and to add value to Don. So I, I held a symposium um, for NBA players who wanted to invest in real estate and I invited Don to come and be a keynote speaker and start a relationship. So one, I'm taking part of this. this add, add value, add value. That's extremely important. That's what I say all the time. So Don, and he'll tell you, you know, if you talk to him, he'll tell you that um, I've articulated to him, like you're a major motivation for me mm. to think about development because development is, um, development can be blood sport. You know, it's super capital intensive. 
you have millions of dollars tied up for years. Um, if you're the developer, you're, you're taking a lot of the risk, meaning you're signing for the loans, um, completion guarantees, all sorts of guarantees are embedded um, when, you, when you do development. But um, once you get into once you get into the system and the flow of things, and you borrow $20 million from a bank and you pay them back, they almost have an infinite checkbook for you. You know what I mean? And so the way that Don is still aspirational to me, and so I'll use him, not myself, because I'm far from there. But Don has a billion-dollar portfolio because he built buildings, paid banks back. That solidifies a relationship. Banks are in the business of giving out money. Um, they like lending a lot of money against one asset that they can vet. It's more efficient. They can believe in it. And so real estate development is one of the most scalable things that an individual or a small group can do. Don has a team of 10 people, maybe, you know, and he has a couple multi-billion dollar projects going on right now. I have a team of, I had a team of eight people when I was um, going after the ball in Hills Mall. I was doing it in partnership with a large developer, but to be in pursuit of a billion dollar deal with a team of less than a dozen people. That's amazing. And, and the money that was on the backside of that, had we um, been successful, you can create dynastic wealth, you know, within a decade, a couple of decades, if you get it right in development. Dynastic. Dynastic, that's a great word. One final question for you before we wrap. So you have a very lean team. What traits are you looking for when you're putting people on your team to decide if they should be there or if you should hold off on hiring? And I'm gonna use, um, I'm going to use somebody who's here with me right now that uh, Rashad and Troy have met, my associate, Brendan. So Brendan started sending me emails. I think he hit me up on, on social media first. Um, I, don't, I don't think I responded. But then he started sending me emails. And I don't, I don't know how long it took me to respond to him. And then one day, he sent me a handwritten note. And then I was like, damn, I'm not living right if I don't at least respond to him. <laughs> yeah. So he sent me a handwritten note and then we went out to lunch and he told me his real estate journey. And he was like, look, I just want to learn. He was like, I can work for you for free. And um, it, it, was, it was a dope conversation because I could see he was passionate. He was persistent. Like somebody shouted, great soft skills. Yeah. I don't know what kind of competition you guys are doing, but she should get some points for that. <laughs> um, you want to come up here? <laughs> So what's your name? Come get a thousand. Uh, there we go. It's going to take five minutes to write the check. <laughs> no, so as, as he's writing a check, we'll, 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 we'll take you to show. We'll yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, you know, it was clear when I talked to him that he had the hard skills. He was smart enough. Most people are smart enough to be successful at real estate and finance or anything. But he just showed that he had that dog in him. And that's what mattered to me. Um, and for, for different roles, I'm looking for different things, but attitude, personality, persistence, um, yeah, just being determined, man, and not giving up. I think that's the most, those are the most vital aspects of success in pretty much any field. Before we leave, while Ian's writing his check, um, <laughs> a, a quick answer, but I just, I just want to say, I just want, um, I want to just know, should people be taking money out of their homes right now? And I also just want you just to speak on the legacy of Nipsey Hussle, because I think that's important being that way in LA. I think it's, um, the timing is tricky to be, well, it depends on what you're taking money out of your home for. Cause I mean, if you're doing a refi or cash out refi, you're borrowing a 7%. So if you're going to make more, 
If you're going to put in something that's going to make you more than 7%, then it can make sense, right? That's the only reason you should do it, if there's um, a positive arbitrage there. The legacy of Nipsey also, I think everybody in this audience, everybody in LA, everybody in California, everybody who's a hip hop fan, um, those all love and respect for Nip. Like a quote that became his, I don't know whose it was, but it became his, um, the highest human act is to inspire. He was one of the most inspirational figures in entertainment, um, one of the most inspirational public figures of our generation. So, you know, he sparked, he sparked a thousand, tens of thousands of people to run their marathon and be down and diligent in their journey. And um, that's incalculable. You can't, you can't put a price tag on that. You can't quantify that. All money in. Let's still go. go. All money in. Dave, final question, and you could ramble it off if you like in any type of order. But obviously, real estate is not a regional sport. It's a global sport. And so I know you have investments throughout the country. Are there specific areas inside the country or maybe internationally that you're looking at as a hot spot for the next maybe five years? You know what, this, is, this might be a boring answer, but like I, I keep saying, you know, real estate is a capital markets game. So it's like, where, where is money willing to go? And so right now, institutions are willing to lend and invest in Florida, all throughout Florida. So I'm looking at things in Florida. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close. What part? A couple of things. South Florida. I'm looking in, in and around Dade County um, because that's where the money's going, yeah. you know? And so that's how you have to orient yourself. But randomly, Nashville. Mm, um, Nashville I have a bonus. trip to Nashville. I have a trip to Nashville in the next couple of weeks to go scout some things. You know, I'm in a couple of mastermind groups, and everyone's been killing it in Nashville, and it's it's been pretty much. You know who else said Nashville? Who? Peebles. Don Peebles. Don. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're going in the. <laughs> hey, right you know direction. I'm not in bad company then. <laughs> you're in the right direction. Not in bad company then, but it's been. And he said Florida also. Yeah. So you know what? Great minds. <laughs> Absolutely. Earners, what's going on? Listen, EYLU is relaunching, revamping, retooling. That's right, we're creating a new educational experience that's more expansive. Shari, tell them what we got. Yes, 2023. We got a lot in store, a lot planned for you guys. So you know that EYLU already includes monthly financial planning calls with me, book club calls with Troy, real estate calls with MG the Mortgage Guy, access to the home buying blueprint, volume one and volume two. Part of the revamp will include 27 local chapters from across the United States, live interactive teaching, hands-on, not just pre-recorded videos, plus 15 brand new curriculums. The biggest just got bigger. Head over to EYLUniversity.com. That's E-Y-L-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com. See you there.